everybody. Hello again. I thought I'd see you today um, multiple times. So I'm going to discuss uh, today, we're going to discuss part of um, uh, Ted Kaczynski's uh, manifesto. And I have a few uh, paragraphs that I want to go over. Uh, this is going to be a multi-part um, series on this particular, not just, not Ted, but uh, base people in general. The idea here is um, we've, we've had these people for many years um, in our society that could, uh, I guess you could say, predict the future. Sorry, I'm getting everything set up so I make it can read this a little easier. So I'm going to do an audio and a video of this, but uh, I picked out a few paragraphs that I wanted to go over, um, mainly because I think I think that'll be helpful. I know my uh, audio will be much better than my video uh, presentation skills, uh, so you'll have to bear with me here. Um, so from his uh, presentation, um, and I guess I'll just go ahead and get my mug off the uh video camera here so uh paragraph 21 leftists may claim that their activism is motivated by compassion or by moral principles and moral principles does play a role for the leftists of the over socialized type but compassion and moral principle cannot be the main motives for left leftist activism hostility is too prominent a component of leftist behavior, so is the drive for power. Moreover, much leftist behavior is not rationally calculated to be of benefit to the people whom the leftists claim to be trying to help. For example, if one believes that affirmative action is good for black people, does it make sense to demand affirmative actions, a action as hostile or dogmatic in or dogmatic terms? Obviously, it would be more productive to take a diplomatic and conciliatory approach that would make it at least verbal, make at least verbal and sim symbolic concessions to white people who think that affirmative action discriminates against them. But leftist, leftist activists do not take such an approach because it would not satisfy their emotional needs. Helping black people is not their real goal. Instead, race problems serve as an excuse for them to express their own hostility and frustrated need for power. In doing so, they actually harm black people because the activist hostile attitude towards the white majority tends to intensify race hatred. So there's there's one example, and I think the, the key por portion of that is uh, if you say race problems serve as an excuse for them. So... I mentioned I picked that out because it seems very, uh, I guess you could say, prophetic as to what we're going through at this moment with uh, the idea of um, making all these um, all these situations in the Biden administration and or since last summer uh, about race in our country. It's a way to uh, stir up antagonism and it's going to create the very problem that they say they're trying to achieve to, to rid themselves of. And the thing is, is uh, there's a there's been a concerted effort the last decade to do this uh, by forces uh, in our um, not not uh, not unusual to the conversations I've had uh, prior to this, uh, particularly um, 
particularly Bill Gates, who, who has funded our education system uh, starting in 2008-2009 on a substantial level. He was the one who was by, he was probably not only the funder, but designer behind Common Core, which has introduced a host of negative, uh, um, negative uh, aspects to our edu education in the United States. It's actually degraded our education. So this is, uh, once again, this is one of the problems with uh, putting a, um, a technologist in any way, shape, or form near uh, education, especially one who, who, who is just a liberal. He's an ultra-liberal. He's an ultra-leftist, left, left, and he wants to put his hands in, on everything. So let's move on to the next uh, paragraph. So paragraph 27. We argue that a very important and influential segment of the modern left is over-socialized and that their over-socialization is of great importance in determining the direction of modern leftism. Leftists of the over-socialized type tend to be intellectuals or members of the upper middle class. Notice that inter university intellectuals constitute the most highly social, uh, socialized segment of our society and also the most left-wing se segment. I think it speaks for itself. Paragraph 29. Here's an illustration of the way in which the over-socialized left leftist shows his real attachment to conventional attitudes of our society while pretending to be rebellion, uh, to pretending to be in rebellion against it. Many leftists push for affirmative action, for moving black people into high prestige jobs for improved education in black schools and more money for such schools the way of the life of the black underclass they regard as a social disgrace. They want to integrate the black man into the system, make him a business executive, a lawyer, a scientist, just like the upper middle class white people. The leftists will reply that the last thing they want is to make a black man into a copy of a white man. Instead, they want to preserve African-American culture. But what does this preservation of African-American culture consist? is it it can hardly consist in any more than eating black style food listening to black style music wearing black style clothing clothing and going to black style church or mosque in other words it can express itself only in the superficial matters in all essential respects most leftists of the over socialized type want to make the black man conform to the white middle class ideals they want to make him study technical subjects become an executive or a scientist, spend his life climbing the status ladder to prove that black people are as good as white. They want to make black fathers responsible, quote unquote. They want black gangs to become nonviolent, etc. But these are exactly the values of the industrial technolo technological system. The system couldn't care less what kind of music a man listens to, what kind of clothes he wears or what religion he believes in as long as he studies in schools, holds a respectable job, climbs the status ladder, is a, re is a responsible parent, is nonviolent, and so forth. In effect, however much he may deny it, the over-socialized leftist wants to integrate the black man into the system and make him adopt its, its values. I think we can say that's sufficiently uh, on point about a lot of things. We've... Uh, We've tried to we've tried to tell someone to adapt and adjust to uh, a viewpoint uh, based upon the the poor viewpoint that leftists have of of other people. 
So in, 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 instead of just letting people do what they, whatever they decide to do with their lives, uh, the, 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 the inclination has to been to interfere. If someone was really interested in being in those things, and this is what's caused problems in our current society, especially since, I guess you could say in the last 15 to 20 years in particular, a generation of, of, uh, of, uh, uh basically, uh, fatherless boys of any color, but moreover, um, and, and that isn't the point I'm trying to make here that as far as, uh, trying to, uh, destroy the family, then we tell these, uh, kids that we're going to give them uh, give them a path to university irrespective of their talents, irrespective of what, the, what they really want to do. We say, go ahead, go to university. You need to become a lawyer. You need to become an engineer. And of course, if they don't achieve that, then we say, well, you know, the society is going to have to pass you through anyway and make you one anyways. So what do you do? You're just constantly, you're constantly uh, demoralizing these people, even though you're promoting them. I mean, you're basically... You're not allowing them to make their own choices, and there's your individual freedom. And for my own life, and I'm not black, so therefore I don't understand it from that uh, uh, viewpoint, my mother wanted me to be an industrial engineer, or she wanted me to be an engineer of any sort of stripe, but just she didn't know what that was because she hadn't graduated college. But once I enrolled, she expected me to complete that course. And about halfway through, I got dropped by Purdue University um, uh, due to my grades. Um, I already knew at that point in time I was a mediocre engineer at best. I just wasn't. I just didn't have the. I didn't have the right mentors, you know, the hands-on, the, the the professor that wows you, you know. If you don't meet the right type of people early on in in certain thing in certain fields, it's very difficult to get that lust for it. And I didn't have a lust and desire for it. I would have been better going into just uh, business or uh, as I'm doing right now, a little bit of journalism. But I stayed with it nonetheless and, and did manage to get a, a few jobs out of it, more than a few jobs. But uh, uh, that's just my thing. So let's move on to the next paragraph. So paragraph 30, uh, we certainly do not claim that leftists, even though over socialized type, never rebel against the fundamental uh, values of a society. Clearly, they sometimes do. The over-socialized leftists have gone so far as to rebel against one of modern society's most important principles for by engaging in physical violence. By their own account, violence is, is for them a form of liberation. In other words, by committing violence, they break through the psychological restraints that have been trained into them. Because they are over-socialized, these restraints have been more confi confining for them than others, hence the need to break free of them. But they they usually usually justify the rebellion in terms of mainstream values. If they engage in violence, they claim, claim to be fighting uh, against racism or the like. I think we can uh, fairly understand where that comes from. So... Non-attainment of important goals result in death if goals are physical necessities, and frustration if non-attainment of goals is, is compatible with survival. Consistent failure to attain goals through, throughout life results in defeatism, low self-esteem, or depression. So this, there's a, this is a different section talking about uh, goal, a goal attainment. 
let's see, paragraph 38, surrogate activities. But not every every leisured, a leisured aristocrat becomes bored and demoralized. For example, the emperor Hirohito, instead of sinking into decadent hedonism, devoted, devoted himself to a marine biology, a field in which he became distinguished. When people do not have to exert themselves to satisfy their physical needs, and they often set up artificial goals for themselves, they often set up artificial goals for themselves. In many cases, then, pursue these goals with the same energy and emotional involvement that otherwise they would have to put in search for physical necessities. Thus, the aristocrats of the Roman Empire had their literary pretensions. Many European aristocrats a few years ago invested tremendous time and energy into hunting, though they certainly didn't need the meat. Other aristocracies have competed for, competed for status through elaborate displays of wealth, and a few aristocrats like Hirohito have turned to science. So this may, uh, let's see, I'll go on to, I'll, I'll stop here. So when you think about, like, we know we have a, a leisure class that involve themselves in all core, core, core types of things. Uh, as he mentioned here, or Hito here in particular, uh, we we know we have a ruling class out here that has decided that their their uh, leisure activities should be towards designing new system surrogate app. The surrogate activities of uh, one Bill Gates would be quite an uh, quite an assessment since he's got his fingers in health and education and vaccination and technology. And it seems like he, he has his hands in politics quite deeply. Um, people who, who are like him, who have just this enormous amount of wealth, and they don't seem like anything's enough for them, I should tell you something about them. Um, you notice he isn't just going off quietly doing something non-technical. I mean, he's worth at least $100 billion by himself just on his own. He has a foundation that's worth $50 billion, and he's trying to amass more assets and uh, personal assets. And that in Microsoft, I don't know what it's worth as a company, but it's probably worth nearly a trillion dollars. So you think about that. I, I mean, I have, no, I have no concept of what it's like to live his reality because, I mean, I wouldn't, I would, I, I have no likelihood of uh, becoming a millionaire in my lifetime unless something extraordinary happens to me, which it probably won't. So uh, there's a low likelihood of that. Um, I've only gotten close to making $100,000 in a year, you know, one or two times in my life. And I'm, when I say getting close, I mean, I'm, I mean, in the ballpark, I'm not talking about actually being right there at that, at that point. And even then it's only been for a short time, say for, you know, eight or 12 months, because that's on a per, hour, a per hourly basis. So think about that. I mean, I have no concept what it was. I mean, he makes more money in a, in a, in a minute than I'll make in a year. And uh, it's just, an, and that's, and I, I, I didn't calculate that out, but I'm sure it's, you know, fairly close. I mean, uh, it may not even be fairly close. It may be orders of magnitude off. It may be more like he makes more money in a second than I do in a year. So think about that. You know, he just snaps his finger and he's got more money than a, than the average person has 
in their entire year. And, uh, and yet he, he, he can't be satisfied with that, which, uh, tells you the, 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 the emptiness that must exist inside somebody like that who can't be satisfied with, you know, a, a hundredth of that. Or, I mean, think about it. Just being a billionaire is an achievement and he's done it so many times. It doesn't matter. Now he just wants to rule the world in some way, shape or form. So I'll move on to the next one. Um, paragraph 40. In modern industrial society, our only minimal effort is necessary to satisfy one's physical needs. It is enough to go through a training program to acquire some petty technical skill, then come to work on time and exert mo very modest effort needed to hold a job. The only requirements are a moderate amount of in intelligence and most of all, simple, a simple obedience. If one has those, society takes care of one from cradle to grave. Now he wrote that he wrote this, Teddy Kaczynski. He published it in I think 1995, so <laughs> it's been a hot minute since he this has been published. Yes, there is an underclass that cannot take the physical necessities for granted, but we are speaking here of mainstream society. Thus, in it, thus in not uh, uh, surprising that modern society is full of surrogate activities. These include scientific work, athletic achievement, humanitarian work, artistic and literary creation, climbing the corporate ladder, acquisition of money, and material goods far beyond the point at which they cease to give any additional physical satisfaction and so, uh, social activism when it addresses uh, issues that are not important for the activists personally, as in the case of white activists who work for the rights of non-white mi minorities. That's a long run-on sentence. <clears throat> uh, these are not always pure uh, surrogate activities, since for many people they may be motivated in part by needs other than the need to ha have some goal to pursue. Scientific work may um, let's see here. See if I can get this one. Uh, scientific work may be, let's see here, motivated in part by a drive for prestige, artistic creation, by need to express feelings, militant social activism, by hostility. But for most people who pursue them, these activities are in large part surrogate activities. For example, the majority of scientists will probably agree that the fulfillment they get from their work is more important than the money and prestige they earn. So, okay, autonomy. Autonomy as a part of the power process may not be necessary for every individual, but most people need a gr greater or lesser degree of autonomy in working to, towards their goals. Their efforts must be undertaken on their own, own initiative and must be under their own direction and control. Yet most people do not have to exert this initiative, direction, and control as single individuals. It is usually enough to act as a member of a small group. Thus, if a half dozen people discuss a goal amongst themselves and make a successful joint effort to attain the goal, their need for power process will be served. But if they work under rigid orders handed down from above, that leave no room for autonomous decision and initiative, then their need for a power process will not be served. 
The same is true when decisions are made on a collective basis if the group making the collective decision is so large that the role of each individual is insignificant. It is true that some individuals seem to have little need for autonomy. Either they drive for their drive for power is weak or they satisfy it by identifying themselves with some powerful organization to which they belong. And then there are unthinking animal types who seem to be satisfied with a purely physical sense of power. The good combat soldier who gets his sense of power by developing fighting skills and he's quite content to be used in blind obedience to his superiors. Paragraph 44. But for the most, but for most people, it is through the uh, power process, having, having a goal, making an autonomous effort, and attaining the goal that self-esteem, self-confidence, and sense of power are required. When one does not have adequate opportunity to go through the power process, the consequences are, depending on the individual and the way the power process is disrupted, boredom, demoralization, low self-esteem inferiority feelings, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spouse or child abuse, insatiable hedonism, abnormal sexual behaviors, sleep disorders, eating disorders, etc. And that, I'm going to leave it at that for this particular portion of this, um, but I'm going to discuss later a different part. So that, that paragraph is important to our, you know, current, uh, situation uh, um, as far as if you think about it. So we have come through this uh, uh, manufactured crisis of, the, of a pandemic. And what has happened is we've had people at the very top rungs of our society who have decided that, that people uh, <laughs> that have a goal and are autonomous, so small business people, and anybody who, you know, uh, on a daily basis makes decisions for themselves that aren't billionaires, who aren't uh, working for the federal government like uh, Fauci and, and all the governors and all the state and local officials who, who, whose jobs are secure, their livelihoods are, are taken care of. And this is part of the problem is with leftist overreach. Um, and when I say leftist overreach, when you get leftists in positions of power and control, you see how how their minds think about how they're going to continue to get that power and control. And what have they done? They've torn apart our society uh, through taking away people's ability to make decisions for themselves in, in the name of uh, the greater good or in the name of safety, uh, in the name of not, you know, not killing grandma. <clears throat> And the funny thing is, is we know there's been therapeutics out there since the get-go. Even Trump mentioned that a therapeutic. I'm going to mention that again. Even men, he he mentioned one in the first month of the pandemic in March. He was the one who first uh, who brought up the idea of hydroxychloroquine. And as it turns out, a guy like Bill Gates knows a lot about hydroxychloroquine because what is he? What field? Uh, I I've already seen the grant monies he's issued to. Uh, malaria treatment and, and stuff like that. So he knew, he knew perfectly good and well about this. But you notice how quickly the media, who Gates influences and China influences, uh, put a squash on that particular therapeutic. Uh, and they tried to find studies that would support their viewpoints. And those studies were were made after after 
he made that suggestion. Those studies were not launched beforehand. There was only one uh, clinical trial that I saw in March that was done that mentioned anything about hydroxy, uh, the uh, downside of hydroxychloroquine, and that had to do with the QT on your heart. Now, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not going to play one on TV either, but uh, it seemed like uh, all the, pro the professionals in the industry knew that with uh, uh, early, uh, early uptake of hydroxy plus zinc plus vitamin D would at least uh, alleviate uh, or at least uh, could possibly treat hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people that were clinically uh, conducive to getting this disease. Meanwhile, aside from that, you had small businesses that were having to be shut down. And when you're a small business and you're operating on a cash, when you're um, your uh, cash level or your amount, whether, whether you call it the burn rate or, uh, you know, how much money do you have to pay your bills, how much money to pay all the necessary things to keep a business operating when you're not making revenue, they know that, the, that, that all those businesses were, uh, you know, you know, operating on a month or two or maybe even three months at max of uh, cash stability. So the government forced those uh, businesses closed because of considering them non-essential. And you took away people's autonomy. You took away their self-esteem, their self-confidence. Uh, um, when you do that, as this paragraph lays out uniquely, you know, you get the demoralization, low self-esteem. Low self-esteem is tied to leftism. So the leftists out there intentionally, and I will say that intentionally, want other people to feel as bad as they do about themselves. Um, and what better way to do it when they have power than to, uh, to, to foist it onto their enemies? See, this was a personal and physical assault on the United States of America, in particular those people that are uh, self-sufficient, who go out of their way to be self-sufficient or try to be self-sufficient, imperfectly so, but they yet the, nonetheless, they try to do it. Um, and everybody knows this. Everybody who deals with reality actually knows this. I'm not telling anybody anything. I'm just putting it into a, uh, a perspective based upon somebody who discussed this long ago and has been forgotten. So the idea of, in, of uh, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spousal and child abuse, we know, statistically speaking, that when you lose your job or lose your business and you start confining people up together that, that usually have autonomous control of their lives, whether they be man or woman or children, when you don't have children that can go to school and you have all this, you're, you created this massive disruption and it was done on purpose. This, there was an intent behind this. I keep on bringing this up because I... I in case of anybody who's listening, uh, I want them to know, you know, uh, this wasn't, this was a well-planned idea. This wasn't just, oh, there was just a pandemic. No, this was used and exploited on multiple levels and they knew what they were doing. And given the people that have circulated around the situation, you have to start looking at the psychology of the people that have put this master plan together. And then you have to come to whatever inevitable conclusions you can draw from that psychology. 
And I think once people start doing that, they might be able to understand how how uh, dangerous of a situation we've created in the past, uh, you know, uh, quite a few months or almost now a year. So I'm going to leave it there. But uh, uh, let's just say for his time frame, he was quite based. Next time, I'm going to try to uh, do uh, Yuri Bezmenov. And we'll oscillate back and forth between these two fellas uh, for probably two or three episodes. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you.